and welcome to Fantastic History. I'm Clay. And I'm Sarah. We're a husband and wife duo who enjoy telling each other about amazing events, people, and mysteries throughout history. Now, Sarah, last week you covered the War of the Roses, and among the 32 years of the throne of England exchanging hands Mm -hmm. came one of the greatest mysteries in England and the world. Ooh. So if you didn't listen to last week's episode, this episode will still make sense. I'm still going to uh, cover what happened. It's not going to be like you'll be lost. But if you listen to last week's episode, it'll make a lot more sense. It'll set the stage for why the things that are happening are happening. So I guess this would be the first uh, like a piggyback episode. Well, and I'd also like to say, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, what the hell, man? I worked really hard on that. Yeah, yeah. She really did. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot of information. 32 years of um, of war condensed into, what was it? About about 32 minutes, About probably, 32, yeah. yeah. So please listen to that if you haven't. <laughs> it'll, make, it'll make this make a lot more sense. But if you've forgotten something since then, don't worry. You won't be too lost. But let's get into it. So on Easter Day, uh, 1483, the King of England, Edward IV, fell fatally ill. His health was already beginning to fail, but the illness took him quickly and without much warning. He was only survived long enough to make some last-minute updates to his will before he passed on April 9th. His eldest son was Edward V, and he was 12 at the time. And he was at Ludlow Castle where he was being raised by his uncle on his mother's side, Alexander Woodville. Earl Rivers. Uh, He learned of his father's death five days after he had passed. Oh, yikes. He just traveled a lot slower back then. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like I've heard that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, News then reached Edward IV's brother, Richard, Duke of Losser, at Middleham Castle. Richard had been busy for many years fighting in the north against Scotland. He was a well-regarded magnate and effective military leader. Most importantly, he was loved by his brother, the king. That is why one of the last changes that Edward IV made to his will was to make Richard Lord Protector of England. Hmm. Supposedly. Right. say that. Yeah. Supposedly. Uh, he would be in charge as long as Edward V grows into the throne and eventually takes over when he becomes of age. In about four years. Yes, correct. because he was 12 at the time. Okay. We can only speculate to Richard's true ambitions and motivations, but I think it's safe to say at this point, um, because of his loyalty to king and country, um, that he probably did want to see his brother's wishes come to pass. Mm-hmm. Um Especially since he had just passed, sort of uh, unexpectedly, right? Yeah. And if he and if he did indeed name Richard Lord Protector, it would make sense that he would want to see that through, right? Of course, it didn't hurt that it benefited him directly, either. <laughs> of course. But would this be an easy task? Not exactly. And why? Well, if you listened to last week's episode, <laughs> you, you may be familiar with this: the Queen's family, the Woodvilles. Oh yeah. Uh, the Woodville's, Woodville's were in a very tentative position. They had risen from second-class nobility to among the most elite in London, having several positions on the king's council, and they saw Richard as a potential risk to their power. Mm-hmm. If he took control as Lord Protector, they could see their position in society fade away. So they wanted to give as much power to Edward V as quickly as possible. Right, of course. Richard probably knew this was happening, 
in the king's council because he sent a letter to his closest ally on the council, Baron Hastings, urging him to secure the council votes to name him Lord Protector of England in accordance with his brother's will. But Hastings was not successful. The council voted that Edward V would immediately be crowned, leaving Richard out of the picture entirely. Now, that's unusual. Yes, it is. And, but as you know, there is a there's a power struggle going on. Oh, yeah. So things aren't necessarily... <laughs> there has been for quite some time. <laughs> things aren't necessarily going to go as uh, they normally would. Right, of course, yeah. So this put Richard in quite a predicament. If he was going to see his brother's wishes fulfilled, he was going to have to, have to act quickly and strike hard. And fortunately for him, he was quite good at that. Uh, he was, after all, a military leader. Right, yeah. It had been decided that Richard and Edward would meet on their way to London in Stony Stratford and then proceed to London together as a sign of unity between the two. Richard was traveling with a group that included the Duke of Birmingham, his closest ally, who would basically become the right hand of the king later on. With Edward was Rivers and Sir Richard Grey. The two of them did indeed meet at Stony Stratford on April 29th, and they had a pleasant evening together. However, the following morning... Richard made a move that would really uh, change the course of history and especially England forever. And again, if you listen to last week, this would sound familiar. uh, Richard arrests Rivers and Gray on charges of conspiracy and treason. It was later clarified that the reasoning was Rivers encouraged the king's drinking, which killed him and amounted to treason. Oh, this was the justification Okay. Now, if you follow the the clues, uh, the Woodville's influence on the council um, refused to name him Lord Protector. Right. So this move made some sense in that context. So they were sent away to Pontefract Castle as Richard's prisoners. And now the young Prince Edward was under his protection now. Which was, you would think, you know, if he was meant to be Lord Protector... While Edward is, you know, waiting to come of age, this seems like a good thing, right? I mean, this is his uncle. This is who his dad wanted to be looking out for him. Seems great. I mean, maybe not the best way to get there, right? But this seems like everything's on the right track. It would seem that way on paper from from a distance. Mm -hmm. But um, I'm sure you know. I have an idea. (laughs) But um, to... To uh, to Edward, Richard was basically a stranger. Mm-hmm. They didn't know each other very well, and he had just arrested his father figure, essentially. So when Richard shows up and arrests Rivers, Edward's first impression of Richard, I'm sure, was pretty bad. Yeah, I can see that. But the prince had little option at the time, mm-hmm. so they set off to London. Word of this event arrived in London ahead of them and to Elizabeth Woodville, the queen. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, this was a level of aggression unforeseen against her family, and she saw the writing on the wall. She knew what was happening, so she fled with her children to the sanctuary in Westminster Abbey out of the reach of Richard. Richard and Edward arrived in London on Coronation Day, May 4th, but the mood was very different now. Richard was able to convince the council to push the coronation back to June 25th, and they did indeed name him Lord Protector. And again, if you listen to last week's episode, 
clearly they've learned nothing from people in the York family being like, no, no, name me Lord Protector. Do it. Do it. Do it now. Do it. Say yes. Do it. Like, <laughs> guys, come on. We've been here. This is, yeah. this is no good. Yeah, it's it, it seems it seems like more could have been done, but at the time, I'm sure they, there was a lot of saving face and playing uh, playing uh, carefully. Well, and I would think you know too, as as people who have watched things like House of Cards and Veep, you get an idea of kind of people aren't always necessarily acting on their conscience in political matters. You know, there's a lot of you know, backdoor dealing going on a lot of the time. Like, well, if you'll agree to name me Lord Protector, then I'll give you, mm. you know, whatever. Right, 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 right. Mm-hmm. So at this point, Richard is Lord Protector, but only until Edward is crowned. Then Richard was out. So Richard sent Edward to the Tower of London, Uh-oh. the titular tower of this of this episode where he would remain until his coronation. Now, when I first heard the story, I thought the tower was um, referred to a single tower because ahead of this episode, I didn't know a whole lot about this story. So Mm -hmm. I I learned a lot about this from scratch. Okay. Right. I I thought it was a single tower, but the the Tower of London is actually a castle built in uh, 1066. It was a, it's a 12 acre Royal residence consisting of, large walls with towers and multiple interior buildings. And it was common that the royalty would stay at the tower awaiting their coronation. But as I said before, things were anything but common right now. And Edward was basically under house arrest and he would never set foot outside the tower ever again. Okay. Now at this point, Richard kind of has what he wants. He's the Lord protector as his brother had desired But as I've said a couple of times already, things are different. He knows the moment that Edward is crowned and his title is removed, the Woodvilles are coming after him. And he know the Woodville and the Woodvilles knew the exact same thing. If Richard was able to somehow remain in power, Mm -hmm. the struggle of power leads Richard to become increasingly paranoid that many on the council are working with Elizabeth Woodville to overthrow him. And even his allies are, 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 are being seen by him as less allies now. Uh, He's seeing traitors all around him. But Richard is a man of action. That's what made him a great soldier and what got him in the situation in the first place. And I think at this point, Richard's motivations had moved on from his brother's wishes. Now there was a lot at stake for him to lose. So on June 13th, Richard calls a small meeting of his more friendly council members. And during that meeting, Richard has decided to make another brazen yet dangerous move Uh oh, a big move he leaves the meeting as soon as soon after it begins and when he returns he is surrounded by soldiers he points to one of his closest allies on the council baron hastings and orders his men to seize the traitor oh my god as this is happening others are arrested on the same charge but richard has something very special in mind for hastings now hastings is a well-regarded member of the elite in london A traitor charge alone would send chills down the spine of the citizenry, but as Hastings is being pulled from the meeting, he is taken to the courtyard and beheaded 
on site. Oh my god. No trial. Oh my god. No verdict. That is very aggressive. Yes. This act shakes the country. Yeah. And it lets everyone know that Richard is not playing around. And he is officially unhinged. Unhinged and very dangerous. Ugh. So every, everyone's terrified of what's going to come next. And we're going to find the answer soon enough. As you know, Elizabeth Woodville is still hiding in Westminster Abbey. With her children, correct? With, with her children. Her daughters and her other son. Mm-hmm. And they're under sanctuary rules. Right, yeah. However, Richard is breaking rules now. He sends the Archbishop of Canterbury to see her and ask her to release the, her son, Richard, Duke of York, to him. The prince was only nine or ten years old at the mm-hmm. time. Mm-mm. His reasoning was that uh, Richard is going to play an important role in the coronation of his brother. But Elizabeth mm-hmm. can see right through this and the real reason. Edward V and Richard, Duke of York, are the only sons of the late Edward IV. If Richard has them in his control, he controls his brother's bloodline and the royal bloodline. Elizabeth is left with really an unthinkable choice. Give up her only remaining son to the man who arrested her brother a month ago and killed a respected noble on the council with no trial. Or refuse and risk Richard breaking the rules of sanctuary and coming after her and all of her children. It certainly seems like something Richard was capable of doing at this point. (laughs) No kidding. So reluctantly, Elizabeth decides to give up her son. She must have hoped that maybe he would at least be taken care of. Right. Somewhere. Not, who who knows. Mm -hmm. But she thought maybe Richard would not allow his own nephews to be harmed. Right. Well, and and he's had Edward V for a little while at this point, right? It's been about a month. Right. And he's still alive, so, you know, mm-hmm. there's some precedent for, you know, he's not going to be Hastings, you know? He's not going to yank him out of the church and cut his head right off. Well, that would be, that would be so aggressive that <laughs> it would be... Uh, I, I can't even imagine well, and doing something like that. As as we kind of learned in last week's episode, these kids were beloved. This family was beloved. Like people were stoked about their father and kind of seeing them continue his line. So <laughs> if he was to take, you know, one of the kids out and just absolutely butcher them like he had done his own friend, um, I can kind of see where that might have caused an uprising. You, could, you couldn't really see it happening, right? Right, yeah. So Richard, Richard receives the young prince, and he sends him to join Edward in the Tower of London. And like Edward, the young Duke of York would never set foot outside that tower ever again. Mm. The following morning on June 17th, Richard postpones the coronation by four months, and no one dares do anything about it. I <laughs> guess not. Everyone's frozen in fear. Yeah. But the delays were only that. The young Edward V was heir to the throne. And by law, there was nothing that Richard could do to stop him from eventually being crowned. Mm. It had to happen eventually. Mm-hmm. And Richard wants that throne. Uh-huh. And as you said, if he was to actually kill them to take the throne, it would be an unthinkable act of treason against the country and it would just not do. 
And who knows if Richard would even want to do that. Right. It, it It's just not going to happen. So, But he wants the throne. So there's really only one way to do it. The story goes that a clergyman informed Richard conveniently around this time <laughs> that Edward IV and Elizabeth's marriage was invalid. Of course it was. The reason is because Edward was contracted to marry someone else before he married Elizabeth. So this rumor began spreading until about June 22nd when a sermon was preached outside Old St. Paul's Cathedral declaring that Richard IV's children are illegitimate. This makes... Edward IV. Sorry, Edward IV, yes. This makes Edward V and Richard, Duke of York, disconnected from the royal bloodline, mm-hmm. and Richard is heir. How incredibly convenient. Isn't that just... Just a tidy little bow on the top. How wonderful for him. It's really good for him. It's great. It's really good for him. Uh, So a group of citizens of both uh, nobility and common drew up petitions that Richard should assume the throne. Mm -hmm. And he accepts. Oh, does he? Very humbly and graciously, I'm sure. (laughs) Perhaps feigning. Oh, I shouldn't. Should I? Should I not? (laughs) The council seems to approve this change of events, probably out of complete fear. And his coronation takes place very quickly. <laughs> Things are moving fast now. Oh, yeah. On June 9th, and he becomes King Richard III. Oh, bully for him. I'm sure everything goes great from here. If you listen to last week's episode, <laughs> you know where this leads. But mm-hmm. the following year, the Parliament of England issues the statute of Titulus Regius, which ratified the declaration that the marriage of Edward the Fourth and Elizabeth Woodville is invalid, making his rule lawful. Richard the th- uh, Richard the Third's reign did not last long. He died at the Battle of Bosworth Field in 1485, a mere two years later. Aww. And this was the last significant battle in the Wars of the Roses between the Lancasters and the Yorks. Richard's only son had died the previous year, and by illegitimizing his nephews. The York bloodline ended the 300-year Plantagenet dynasty, and the Lancaster's leader, Henry VII, became the first king of England of the House of Tudor. Woohoo! So this, so it seems that the lengths he went to to secure his place on the throne, kind of cursed him. Yeah, good. And the the whole House of York. Mm-hmm. But now with Richard's story told, we're going to turn our attention back to those princes. They are, after all, the titular characters of the episode. Okay. So the question is, what happened to the boys in the tower? Well, we know that they were taken into the innermost apartments of the tower almost immediately after Richard III was crowned. And we know that they were alive that summer due to eyewitness accounts of people seeing them playing on the grounds. But after that summer, they were not seen anymore. A physician who saw the boys in the summer of 1483 stated that Edward looked, and this is a quote, okay, like a victim prepared for sacrifice, sought remission of his sins by daily confessions and penitence because he believed that death was facing him. And he was 12. He was 12. Oh, my God. There actually were attempts to rescue the princes. One attempt... Uh, took place the same year, and it was planned to set a number of fires around London oh. to cause panic mm-hmm. and chaos as they attempted to breach the tower, but this was thwarted by the Kingsmen. 
Later, the Woodvilles turned their attention from rescue instead to empowering the uh, Lancasters to take out Richard under the belief that the princes were just, it, it, it was unlikely they were even alive anymore. God, that's awful. Yeah. After the summer of 1483, the boys were never seen by anyone ever again. No one is sure when they disappeared, but it's widely believed that they were murdered. And the most likely culprit is Richard III. Uh, this was rumored by his contemporaries, and he had strong motivations, of course. Oh, yeah. His right hand, the Duke of Buckingham, is a suspect as well, though probably working on the king's orders. But not long after Richard was crowned, Buckingham actually turned against him and joined the rebellion. Ooh. This uprising was actually called Buckingham's Rebellion. Oh, good for him. Taking place in October 1483 against King Richard. The object of the rebellion had been to restore Edward the fifth to the throne but after buckingham joined the goal had turned to helping henry tudor so almost kind of like buckingham joined and might have kind of known that edward v was not going to be available that's kind of what i'm thinking too although it may have been just the time mm-hmm. it, it was it was uh what did i say october of that yeah. year mm-hmm. so it have been months yeah since they were seen so who who knows poor elizabeth it's possible that he knew the fate of the boys. Buckingham actually was captured and executed on charges of treason in November of that year. Another suspect is James Tyrell, who was a knight very loyal to Richard III. He was specifically identified as the murderer by a man named Thomas Moore, a Tudor loyalist who wrote <sighs> The History of King Richard III. I know Thomas Moore. Yeah? Yay! <laughs> so do you! From the Tudors. Oh, yeah. Thomas More. Yeah. (laughs) Come on, man. Utopia. We have been watching the Tudors. (laughs) Likely not a very unbiased book, but nevertheless, (laughs) he states that Tyrell uh, confessed to the murders of the princes before his execution in 1502. Moore's account states that the princes were smothered by agents of Tyrell and buried at the stair foot but then reburied in a secret place. So the stair foot, I guess, of the tower. Well, as you remember, there are many towers. Right, but I'm saying like the Tower of London. So when I say the tower, I mean like... Perhaps some staircase on the grounds. Right, okay. It's not very specific. Gotcha. Um, I personally take Moore's account with a grain of salt because, you know, he was a loyalist to the Tudors. And his opinion of Richard would be marred by that. But the note about where the boys were buried near the stairs, it'll come up later. Okay. And the last suspect for the murder of the boys is Henry Tudor. Oh, come on. Now hear me out. <laughs> Henry VII repealed Titus Regius in mm-hmm. November 1485, which had invalidated uh, Edward IV's marriage. Right. He did this to solidify the view that Richard III's rule was... Um, you know, against the law. Right. And because Henry's pr- prospective wife, Elizabeth of York, was Edward IV's daughter. And if they're, and if uh, the king's and queen's marriage was invalid, then Elizabeth, uh, the daughter, invalid. was also invalid, yes. And his marriage to her would not work. But repealing Titulus Regius also validated Edward V and Richard, Duke of York, as rightful heirs to the throne. 
I see. And if either of them were still alive, that is. Now, interesting note here. Henry VII did not just repeal Titulus Regius, but ordered that the original and all copies be destroyed. Anyone found to be keeping copies would face fines and imprisonment. He wanted to wipe it off the face of the earth to eternally tarnish Richard's legacy. Man, good. And, Sarah, it almost worked. <laughs> almost. Almost worked. Well, the very fact that we're talking about it means that it didn't work. Right. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Only one copy was ever found about a century later. And that copy is the only reason that we know that this happened at all. Oh, my God. If okay. We, if we didn't know, then this whole story would be different. Whoa. Right? Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. I did not realize that. Okay. We're going to jump ahead a while. There were no clues clues to the boy's fate until July 17th, 1674. Oh, dear. Okay. Workers were rem- uh, performing remodeling work on the Tower of London when they discovered a box buried 10 feet under a staircase. Oh, God. Yeah, inside the Ugh. box were two small skeletons. Oh, no. Mm-mm. I don't care for that. Now, you're not going to care for this either. <laughs> Good. Thank God. H- horrifyingly, these were not the first children's skeletons found in the tower. Come on, dude. I don't I don't I don't know what this is about. But these were found these were they were thought to be legitimate. They weren't found to. They were thought to be legitimate. Uh remains of the princes. Mm-hmm. Partly because the connection to Thomas More's account. Right. Under the stairs. Yeah. So much, in fact, that they were placed in an urn at Westminster Abbey in the wall of Henry VII Lady Chapel. An inscription in Latin reads the following. Here lie entered the remains of Edward V, King of England, and Richard, Duke of York, who long desired and much sought after bones after a hundred and ninety years were found entered deep beneath the rubble of the stairs that led up to the chapel of the White Tower on the 17th of July in the year of our Lord, 1674. Jeez. In 1789, more remodeling work uncovered another secret, this time in St. George's Chapel in Windsor. Workers accidentally broke into the vault of Edward IV and Elizabeth Woodville and discovered an adjoining vault. And inside that vault were the were two coffins of two unidentified children. What? An adjoining vault to the king and queen. Mm-hmm. Unidentified coffins of children. And I am assuming that their daughters lived into adulthood and this would not be them. Well, I'll get to that. That's actually oh. coming up in just a few sentences. Okay, sorry about that. That's a good question. It means you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> this did not lead to an investigation, however. The tomb was resealed, and the vault inscribed with the names of the two children, Mary of York and George, Duke of Bedford. Both had died before Edward IV. Oh, I see. So they were thought to be uh, Mary and George. Okay. However, later... Two coffins were discovered labeled with those two children's names. Now, what the hell? So, those coffins were moved into that adjoining vault that they had found. Mm-hmm. But, frustratingly, no effort was made to identify the two coffins that were already there. 
Now, this area was subject to remodeling work again in the 1990s, and public interest in this topic was higher, and a request was made to do an investigation into these two coffins. But royal permission was not granted by Queen Elizabeth. Liz, come on now. I know. So there are two possible resting places for these princes, but DNA testing has not been performed on either of them. Well, how... And now maybe this is kind of a dumb question or you wouldn't know, but how would they get DNA to compare it to? Well, I believe that they could compare it to um, others in that bloodline. So they have... Oh, I see. So they could like take DNA from Edward IV and compare it. I believe so, yeah. Okay, I see. There are other theories that the princes, or at least one of them, had escaped and lived their life under a different name. I would prefer that outcome, if I'm honest. I would, too. Now, I'm not going to go into all of them, because there's a few uh, that, you know, the validity is kind of iffy. But I found one one theory that I thought was pretty interesting, and it was only proposed recently in 2021. Oh, that by, is quite recent. Yeah. By researchers of the Missing Princes Project. Ooh. Their investigations led them to a small village in Devon called Coldridge, where they discovered unusual engravings and monuments in a church for a man named John Evans. Hmm. Now, apparently he arrived in Coldridge in 1484. He was 13 at the time, and no one had ever heard of him. He sort of came out of nowhere. Yeah. But he came with the title Lord of the Manor. And he commissioned work for the church that is still there today. And you can actually see pictures of it and everything, even like Google Maps. Oh, okay. Um, It's called St. Matthew's in Coldridge, Devon. Among the art is a stained glass window of Edward V, showing him standing below a large crown. Now, images of Edward V are extremely rare. I would imagine so. And this image appears directly above where John Evans wanted to be buried. Hmm. Now, unfortunately, the tomb is empty. But the tomb contains an interesting mistake as it is engraved Evas, E-V-A-S, with the N being absent. Like, mm-hmm. obviously missing. Yeah. Obviously not included. And this had led investigators to theorize that it may symbolize E.V. Mm-hmm. as Edward V. Mm-hmm. And the A.S. as standing for Asa, the Latin term for in sanctuary. Oh. Now, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a stretch. It's obviously a stretch. But. Or is it? I don't know. Mm. I found it to be pretty interesting. That is compelling. It's interesting. So there's a chance. But, I mean, Sarah, this is one of those mysteries that not only sad, but frustrating because Mm -hmm. 500 years have passed. Right. And we're never going to know what happened to them. I hope one day we can find their remains and identify them so that we may have some answer to where they ended up. But we're never going to have an answer to their fate. I hate stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's super interesting and it's... Wonderful for the imagination, certainly, because anything could have happened. It could have been aliens. It could have been the Vikings. (laughs) It could have been, I mean, there is no way to know. 
there will never be a way to know. Yep. But I think as we discussed in our inaugural episode, I hate that. I hate not knowing. I'm such a curious person that like stuff like that drives me up the wall. Like I will not sleep tonight trying to figure it out and knowing that I will never figure it out. I know. Mm. It, it It is very frustrating. But that's the story of the princes in the tower. <sighs> I know it's a very bittersweet ending. But if you're still listening, thank you for listening <laughs> and spending a bit of your time with us today. Uh, please check us out on Twitter and Instagram for more content. We are Fantastic H Pod on both. That's Fantastic, the letter H Pod. Or shoot us an email at FantasticHistoryPod at gmail.com. And until next week, see ya. Bye.